HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio, and I'll be your host for the next half hour here on Heritage Radio Network. And today we are very pleased to be served by, to be sponsored, that is, by TechServe. TechServe is New York's premier authorized Apple reseller, service provider, and serving individual customers, creative professionals, and Fortune 100 companies. TechServe has built a solid reputation on its expertise in technology, sales, and service. As a company that believes in honest and forthright business practices, TechServe is proud to sponsor Heritage Radio Network in the promotion of sustainable lifestyles. Today, ooh, we've got a great day in New York today. It is warm, it is sunny, and I'm just waiting for the good humor truck to come around the corner. <laughs> and not that I'm going to buy anything, but it all just always makes me think of summer and makes me think of, of cheerful times. And to celebrate this wonderful weather and the spring and summer approaching, I have invited as my guests the author of a, a the International Association of Culinary Professionals Award for Culinary History. The author is Jerry Quinzio, and her book is Of Sugar and Snow, The History of Ice Cream Making. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you. And bringing us into a more modern era, we have the owner and founder of Il Laboratorio del Gelato, John Snyder, with his mother, Phyllis. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start with Jerry. Jerry, I think that um, a, most people, I mean, they they remember their own first ice cream experiences. Sure. Last last night, I invited Jerry. We had a the culinary historians of New York had a wonderful um, event where Jerry was the guest speaker lecturer, and we tasted artisanal ice creams and drank a lot of prosecco, and, <laughs> and we learned a lot about the history of ice cream. And I thought, what a wonderful thing to share with uh, my viewers, I mean, my listeners as well, and. A lot of people are, are sort of confused or maybe never really thought about the history when ice cream really began to be made. And you are our resource. What, how, I mean, it's been around a long time. How long has it been around? Well, basically, it's been around since about early in the 17th century in Europe. It took a little while because they had to figure out how to freeze something. They really didn't know that. And once they understood that 
adding salt to ice enable them to freeze, say, a drink or a pudding-type confection, then they knew how to make ice creams and sorbets. And once they started, there was just no stopping them. And they just came up with amazing flavors and styles of serving. It was pretty incredible. And this was long before anyone had a freezer or a refrigerator. That's right. Uh, and, and imagine in the 1600s, these incredible ice cream. Well, you talked about an ice cream buffet. People thought, well, you know, we were the fancy ones, you know, in the modern age to invent mix-ins and flavors and In fact, in fact, as far back as I think early in the 18th century, confectioners would fool diners by making a whole buffet table full of ice creams sort of disguised as slices of turkey or leg of lamb or even a fish, (laughs) peaches, um, asparagus. They love to make asparagus molded ice creams. So they would invite guests in, and the guests would seem to have a buffet table of meats and fish and vegetables, and then they'd sit down and start to eat and discover everything was made of ice cream. And they were all flavors, right? Fruit flavors. All kinds of flavors. flavors. Um, I I mean, this really, take that one, SpongeBob ice pop. (laughs) (laughs) A turkey leg or a whole turkey, in fact, A whole turkey, a whole fish. And they would talk about coloring the molds, the ices in the molds. Then one confectioner says, <clears throat> excuse me, when you do a fish, make sure that you color the underside of the fish lighter than the top side because fish bellies are always pale. So they were just like the antique Romans. <laughs> they were really into realistic disguise. Well, in actually, even in... in like twelfth, thirteenth century yeah. England, there was a lot of that. Yeah, too. well, stuffed swans. You had it, and you talked food. about it. Yeah, faux food, stuffed swans. I mean, yeah. swan shapes. You know, yeah, that's, all sorts of things. They were very, very creative and inventive. And when you think about how difficult it was to actually make ice cream, then you really have to give them a lot of credit for patience and hard work and skill. Absolutely. Well, then we. I mean, I, I'm sure that there were ices. Well, you did. You talked about. I mean, even in prior to the 17th century, some ices, some freezing of, of wines and things. What? Yeah, when they started out, they, you know, were just they, experimenting. Who are we talking about they? I'm when sorry, the, the science, actually scientists in the 16th century 16th. wanted to learn how to freeze whatever, and they tried wine. Well, wine won't freeze solid, but it does get slushy. So for a period, the very elites of Europe had wine slushies with their banquets for quite a while. You know, I think that's going to be my summer my summer dessert <laughs> summer <drink. laughs> for my dinner parties. It sounds great to me, a wine slush. I mean, how bad is that? Absolutely. Um, well, of course, a lot of people, everyone hears the myths about Catherine de' Medici, and you dispelled that myth immediately yeah, in your book. Yeah, and she's she, from everything from forks to artichokes, and she's not... She's not the one, huh? She's not the one, and neither was Nero or any of the others that uh, people think invented ice cream or brought, in her case, brought ice cream from Italy to France. I'm, I'm afraid she didn't. She was a very young girl when she married and went to France, and she really didn't have that kind of influence, even if they had had the skill, which 
at that point, they really didn't. I'm sure the myth was, myths were probably started by her family. I mean, they had enough power <laughs> yeah. that they could spread the word about sure. anything, right? Well, you did mention the Italians, however. And, of course, we know that uh, Antonio Latini wrote um, in Los Scalco della Moderna, he, the modern cook, he wrote about ISIS. Right? He, and was, he was um, probably one of the very first to have recipes for ISIS and ice. And actually not an ice cream, but an iced milk that I think was kind of a predecessor of ice cream. And he had he had lots of what we would think of as sorbets. That's funny. We're just going to talk about how the how the circle turns ice mm-hmm. milk. But but then bringing it up to more of the the 19th century, it came to the common people. I mean, ice cream could not be purchased in a store. It always had to be made fresh. There were no freezers. There was no way to to keep the ice cream. So we have. So tell us what. How did how did they get ice cream to the people? Well, basically, they started. Uh, a man named Frederick Tudor started the ice industry, and made ice available. So once ice is available and inexpensive, then you can do more. Then. Nancy Johnson invented a new kind of ice cream freezer that was much easier to use. It had a crank. Instead of having to open it and stir it as you were making the ice cream, you could just crank it. So between her cranked freezer and his cheap ice, suddenly people were making ice cream at home. Hmm. And you see recipe books just filled with recipes for ice cream. It seems to be sort of a weekend uh popular thing to do that you all get the family together and well, make and ice that, cream and, and her what when did she invent that hand crank freezer that was i believe 18 so, so it was in the 1800s yeah and that really is a direct predecessor of all our modern crank uh ice creams that we have now i mean the, they're electric now i mean but a lot of the and john i mean i don't know what what type of ice cream well, you have. No, we have the commercial. You have right. large commercial yeah. machines. But, but We're going to still sell uh, yeah. hand crank models. Yeah, and yeah. Of people yeah. I have those an old. They work very well. Yeah, yeah. I have an old Donvier one. You put sure. the container in the oh, freezer. Yeah, and put it yeah. in, yeah. crank it. They still sell that type. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Many, many, many manufacturers yeah, sure. sell yeah. that Donvier type. Sure. But then there sprung up these places where people could go, and I mean, there were there were ice cream vendors. I imagine in. In parts of Europe, right? They would. There were, sure, there were, and here, there were ice cream street vendors on sort of one level, and then Which they haven't were, gone away, <laughs> fortunately. Fancy ice cream confectioner's shops where the more elite would go and have a sort of dainty ice cream. Or you could buy ice cream on the street and eat it out of what they called a licking glass. Ah-ha. So a licking glass, or a penny lick... Penny lick, right. ...was... Um, just a, a small glass. The vendor would fill the glass with ice cream. He wouldn't give you a spoon, though, because he didn't want you to walk away with his glass and spoon. We had no plastics at that time. No plastics, <laughs> no cardboard cartons. So you had to stand there and lick the ice cream out of the glass and then return it, and he would wash it. Yeah, right. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure the Department Not- of Health had a few things to say. <laughs> I don't think the water was heated to a point that would kill bacteria. Well, in fact, wasn't there was a problem with the Department of Health shutting them down? There, the yeah, there, there was a big problem with that yeah. sort of thing, and, and it resulted in a lot of the f- pure food and drug laws that we have even today. So then someone came up with a great idea, which lasted until... 
well into my adulthood was the hokey pokey although we didn't call it a hokey pokey tell us what hokey pokey is hokey pokey was aside from a dance right (laughs) yes it was a dance and a song um it was if you if you imagine a loaf of ice cream i think is the easiest way to describe it often three layers of flavor like vanilla chocolate and strawberry neapolitan neapolitan And they would just take a slice, so it would be almost like a slice of bread, but actually a good deal smaller, and wrap it in paper. So then you could walk away with your ice cream. You had something to hold on to, and you weren't licking it out of someone else's glass, Mm. which was a big improvement. (laughs) Well, now, these ice creams, um, as far as the recipes go, were they all custard-based ice creams that you know of in your research, by and large? Um, A lot of them were custard-based, so it was really meaning with you know they all contained eggs eggs right? and milk and cream and sugar and then whatever flavoring but there also is a whole sort of school of ice cream and I'm sure John knows about this called Philadelphia ice cream which is just cream sugar flavoring no, no eggs and some people like it because they feel it's lighter and fresher it has a cleaner mouth feel some people prefer the custard base because it's rich and lush. It's just a matter of personal preference. Mm-hmm. Well, as that change came along, um, a lot of other changes came along, too, with the Industrial Revolution and, and modernization in food techniques. Gave us the cake mix and TV dinners, but we also... Mm-hmm. It kind of bastardized ice creams as we knew it, right? It did. It did. We got a lot of big, fluffy, airy ice creams. And ice milk became... Well, I mean, it became affordable to the general public who couldn't afford maybe, you know, a a true good ice cream would maybe be a little prohibitive for a lot of people to buy. But an ice milk would be cheaper. Yes. And, And also just pumping ice cream with a lot of air so that... Instead of buying what people used to buy, a half pint, which is pretty small when Mm -hmm. you think about it, they suddenly were able to buy a half gallon and put it in their freezer. They had a new freezer at home, so they could buy half gallons and put them in their freezer, and they were very affordable. Unfortunately, the quality of the ice cream was not very good. Well, and... from personal experience, I would tell you, you had to eat a lot of it to get any sense of satisfaction. Exactly. I mean, we would go, our treat every weekend for a family of four kids, my mother would buy two half gallons of whatever the, you know, flavors voted on of the week. And it was usually a, you know, a seal test or some, you know, store brand, light ice milk, inexpensive. And, you know, we'd take three, four scoops in a bowl and then slather it with Hershey's chocolate syrup or something, you know, <laughs> just to get a sweet hit because it really was, it just, you know, now I think about when I take a, a scoop of Il Laboratorio del Gelato or some of these wonderful artisanal, other artisanal brands that are, are coming about, you don't need more than a scoop or two and it is dense and rich and you're, mm-hmm. you are satisfied. Well, Along with that, and those the cheaper brands of ice creams came the novelty ice creams as we know them, the Eskimo pies. Eskimo and, pies oh, and, and popsicles. Popsicle. And, and tell us about ice cream sandwiches. I think mean, that's a great story oh, from your book. Yeah, ice cream sandwiches came along just about the turn of the 20th century. And we think they were actually created by an ice cream vendor downtown New York who probably... Um, This is a little bit of conjecture on my part, but probably saw people wrapping the paper around the hokey pokey and said, why not put 
cookies around the pokey pokey kind of ice cream instead came up with the idea of an ice cream sandwich and it was just wildly popular everyone started imitating it and one newspaper wrote that in fact it was so popular that wall street brokers would stand on the sidewalk right next to messengers and clerks and buy an ice cream sandwich. Oh, heavens. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, we're going to take a little break and wait for the Good Humor Man. And when we come back, we're going to jump into the modern era of ice cream. Sorry, you got. We came back so soon. We are eating ice cream. John Snyder of Il Laboratorio del Gelato has a very interesting story about bringing us back to the modern era of. Well, his story is not the modern era. He is the modern era. But um, as Jerry was um, describing, Jerry Quinzio, the author of of Sugar and Snow. I love that um, that title, by the way. Um, ice cream kind of went through the the large industrialization, and then. It took a while before all of a sudden we're seeing springing out of every corner artisanal or artisan style ice creams. And uh, John, you you really uh, did some research to find out how how to make some of these ice creams. And yeah, well, my my my, uh, my story started more with my family in the uh, in that industrial uh, uh, when ice cream was coming of age in the in the earlier part of the century because my. My grandfather was a contractor, and he built a lot of the Carvel stores in the metropolitan New York area. And the last one he built, he kept in 1951. And my grandparents ran that store with my mom and her sisters. And, it was and a, we have mom here, Phyllis. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> um, it was a big family business that I, I would work at in the summertime. It was one of those summer stands that was closed that you drive up to. You don't go inside. You uh, it was closed in the winter, uh, so it was, a, it was a seasonal business. And I worked there in the summertime from the age of nine until pretty much 16, 17 with my cousins and aunts and uncles. And, and that was where I really uh, got a, a foothold into small business ownership and, and ice cream got into my blood. And, uh, and of course, Carvel is a very different product to what I'm doing today. But I, right. I took a trip to Italy when I was 18 years old, um, just a summer vacation with a cousin of mine and, and kind of just fell in love with what was going on in Italy. Uh, that was in 1983. And I was 19 and um, just was like really consumed by what they were doing over there. I never had tasted anything like it. In, and consuming in, in a lot York. of it, I imagine. Consuming <laughs> a lot of it. And, you know, it, it, it sort of t- turned into a working vacation because uh, uh, immediately I said, well, this would be really great to, to bring something like this back to New York. 
And um, so this vacation turned into just got a lot, got some recipes, talked to a lot of people, and my Italian was kind of rusty, but I had taken Italian was my language in, in high school, so had a little bit of a background of that. Um, came back to New York, um, quit school, much to my mom and dad's uh, <laughs> chagrin, and uh, started Chalbella. Uh, the Chalbella Gelato Company in Soho. Which back now in, I think is pretty much um, nationwide. Yeah, no, it's uh, no. it, the, the, I, I had it for the first six years, uh, and then I sold it. Mm-hmm. And the guy I sold it to, he really took it national. When I had it, it was very much a Manhattan, New York brand. We, we uh, were focused on soliciting chefs in New York and knocking on uh, doors and cold calling to chefs and, and getting a foothold in, in kind of a small wholesale business, uh, artisanal wholesale business, because we, we were trying to do it the right way. Um, really. Um, now, when you say the right way, tell give us a little explanation about what you mean by well, that. Focus- well, first of all, Phyllis, when you were working at Carvel, I mean, they, Carvel made ice cream, but then they really bumped into the business with the soft serve, correct? Oh, yes, yes. And it was very easy, though. I mean, the uh, vanilla uh, uh, flavor just came already mixed, and we would just put it in the hopper. And it would run through the machine. It would freeze as it came out. Right, right. Uh-huh. And the same is with the chocolates. Mm-hmm. But it was good. That was good quality. Oh, I yeah, remember it was. Carvel was a always a better quality. Ice cream yeah. that people loved. Right. Yeah. So when yeah. you say you you were going by good methods, tell us what, what those methods are while I take a bite of some of this gelato. <laughs> I think that's what, also just to touch on that, it's what made Carvel successful. I mean, it was, it was good. Mm-hmm. But it, it also it was an, it was easy for the operator to, to make it because it wasn't any mixing involved. It was just put, you know get it from the Carvel factory, the the mixture, pour it in the machine, comes out, and it it made it simple for the small business owner to to open those shops and and it was delicious and and uh, the the branding and the the design of the store was cool and you know it kind of worked into the 50s 40s 50s 60s of american and uh, hey they're still around sure sure and i drive by tom carville's old property every weekend going up (laughs) upstate yeah and and they're well no the uh the further up in dutchess county the uh or is it westchester the golf course because in westchester they've uh it's not there anymore right right but the golf course um his his estate the property with the golf course is is up there yeah Yeah. further up yeah yeah um, so yeah, so this trip to Italy really just inspired me to to bring something back that was different and better and more in, more interesting. I mean, I was over there and just these interesting flavors like licorice and rice and things that I just never experienced rice, at Baskin Robbins and rice flavored ice cream. Sure, I just saw the creativity there yeah. um, in Italy that I hadn't seen here as a kid. I mean, I was I was pretty wet behind my ears, but um, I, I I just always had an appreciation for. For ice cream and for for interesting flavors, and there it just I was I was impressed. So it was I was in school. I I wasn't I wasn't really set on what I was going to do with the rest of my life. So I decided to give school a pause and you know, open this uh, open Chow Bella up with about twenty thousand dollars borrowed from family mostly, and um, and it was about knocking on cold calling on chefs and building up this small business that, that eventually became a a solid enough business that I could sell. Well, now we were talking about um, big industry getting into the ice cream making business, and what they did was they discovered a lot of stabilizers, right? Stabilizers and gums and 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 things that they could powdered eggs that they could put into the mix. So you're going to tell me this is not in your ice cream, right? Well, <laughs> we use we. Uh, I'm one of the fans of uh, of non egg based mm-hmm. um, ice cream, the more of the Philadelphia uh, style. Um, I, I I I mean there, there are certainly 
There's a reason for it. The eggs act as a natural stabilizer and emulsifier and, and, and helps greatly to smooth out and give a good, really great texture. Texture, texture is so important. Right? It is. Um, but what eggs, I, I, I just don't, there's something about the, that the, the eggs that give a flavor that I don't think is as clean as a non-egg base. So to compensate for that, we do. We use some, a couple of natural uh, gum-based stabilizers. Mm-hmm. There's seaweed-based base stabilizers, guar gum, and carrageenan, mm-hmm. um, which is the which is the um, just the necessary component if you're not using eggs. I feel like you need you need to have that. Otherwise, it, it becomes a very it's a very you get a very gritty, very icy texture. It doesn't hold, it does uh, not hold up well either. No. Um, what about the cream? What as your um, what we, creams do you? We use, use an it? organic cream from upstate New York. We we yeah. try to use organic in our in my current in the laboratorio. Um, we try to use organic when we can. We don't we don't really claim to be organic mm-hmm. because uh, it, there's we make over two hundred flavors and it's it's just too. Uh, it's too difficult to source everything organic, but we try when we can, and we do. I do use an organic cream. Um, the sugar is not the sugar is just a basic cane sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when I can get organic fruit, I do, and we often do use, but not always. So now I noticed a, I saw um, I saw that you've gotten into a few grocery stores. I don't know if they're just the gourmet stores. I saw them at yeah, Dean and Deluca, yeah, and we're Gourmet just, Garage. We're just in a couple of markets, not Gourmet Garage. Dean and Deluca, Mur- Murray's Cheese, uh, Beercraft in Park Slope mm. uh, carries a few pints. Um, Really, that's just it. There's just like five places in the whole city that carries. It's mostly restaurants that we service. And you only have one, one uh, retail outlet. Correct? Yeah, well, we're just down. We, you know, we we make everything down on Orchard Street, just below Delancey on the Lower East Side. It's all made there, and then we have the window open to the public, um, and that's that's where everything's made. That we service about 200 restaurants in New York City from. So you really still are primarily um, carried by restaurants. You're yeah, it's it's ninety percent of, of what we do is wholesale to 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 restaurants, and and that's really what drives the flavors that we do. Um, again, our flavor list is up to about two hundred. Well, and I just I just tried a very interesting one here, basil ice cream. That it's really is delicious, that, and it has a really yeah. clean finish to it. Yeah, and I, I learned some. Somebody was giving out tastes. Oh, another one of these artisanal ones, um, Soco Creamery. They were giving out tastes uh, the other day, and some well, some woman came up and claimed to be you know the super aficionado of of ice cream tasting. And I'm saying, okay, what can I learn from her? All right, let's listen. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, of course, you always have to finish with a taste of vanilla anytime mm-hmm. you're tasting. Tell me, what is that? Do you know anything about that? Well, I would I would usually say to start with vanilla. Whenever I taste, whenever I go to a new place, I always try the try vanilla the because it's the it's kind of the standard. standard bearer. You know, yeah, it's 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 um it's the most oh. I don't want to say flavorless, but it but it, it it allows you to really taste the, what's the the base more than anything mm-hmm. with the, with that hint of vanilla. Um, so I think it's a really good basic one to try. To it really gives a good representation. If someone makes a good vanilla, then you I think you're in pretty pretty good shape that that, that some of their other flavors are going to be really good as well. But then why would you finish with a vanilla? Uh, I always say start. I wouldn't say yeah. Finish, she actually. she was talking about finish as well. Uh, because I'm a taster, I have to finish with vanilla. And I'm thinking. I would have to say the opposite because <laughs> yeah. yeah because by the time if you, you want to start if you, if you're doing a, prog- a tasting you want to start with the flavors that are more subtle first and then progress to something more intense um, so your so your taste buds aren't masked if, by that if you had to well you know I would, would imagine from your sales 
would say what is the most popular of flavor of the of the unusual flavors what is the most popular i mean we sell more vanilla by far but it's also because of uh you know we mostly it's mostly a restaurant trade that we do and restaurants typically uh you know they they use a lot of vanilla uh, and then because ginger and ginger's popular things like that but they pair it with things we do a lot of herbal things i brought you a sample of the basil and we do lavender and rosemary and what is this one what is this that's buttermilk, I believe. Um, we do a lot of like dairy-based, like nice. buttermilk, creme fraiche, sour cream, mascarpone, ricotta. Um, interesting Ooh. cheddar, cheddar cheese. cheese. Wow, cheddar wow. cheese. Um, a lot of Ooh, uh, yeah. buttermilk that it has that tang. Yeah, that's great. And of course, right? you brought my favorite, which is salted. The caramel. salted caramel is that's very popular that. since we uh, we do a few different kinds of caramel. Oh, Again, they, you know, we try to offer. Working with chefs, we, we try to be there for a chef that wants something unique for their menu, and that's why we make about 12 or 13 varieties of different chocolates, from uh, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, white chocolate, chocolate with Thai chili peppers, and Ooh, yeah. chocolate hazelnut, and um, mocha, and mocha uh, milk chocolate malt. And so we, 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 we try to offer as much as we can, and also collaborate with chefs that want us to create something new. How many... Um I mean, you you say you have commercial ice cream makers. So, how many flavors can you make in a day? Well, we start the day very early. I <laughs> uh, generally get in these days because we're so short on space. We're going to be moving to a much larger facility. That's construction is actually starting today. And the address Hallelujah. in New York City is the new address is going to be one eighty eight Ludlow at the corner of Houston, Houston Street, which is right across the street from Cats Famous Cats's, Cats's Deli. Deli. Right. Um, the current store is on Orchard, just below Delancey, and we're going to keep the current store as a cafe. Which is just four blocks away. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep the original yeah. store, but um, yeah, we'll be just up the block in a bigger space where people will be able to come inside. Um, we're going to offer fifty flavors in the new shop, wow. and 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 the new shop will also it'll be mostly about production, and there'll be a view in from the retail area, from the windows outside. Kind of what Jacques Torres does with his chocolate. Very much yeah. so. Very yeah. keeping it very open. People can really see the whole process. So, how many machines? What tell me about these machines? Like uh, the machines, machines that we use are Carpigiani machines. They're from Italy. They're actually the the biggest uh, Italian brand of uh, ice cream machine. And how much does it churn out in one we, making? We we have the largest uh, Carpigiani machine, which puts out about you can make about seven gallons in in a batch so you think uh, about it, i mean still it's really not no a huge no they're not they're not like no. large commercial machines that ben and jerry's would be using or these these are these are large machines for artisanal producers basically well jerry you have um some figures you did some research on the per capita consumption of ice creams and and uh, United States used to lead the pack, but what? Tell us about we, that. Well, we used to. We were we were up, I think, to about twenty two quarts per person per year. <laughs> twenty two quarts a person. That's, That's nothing. <laughs> but I can you, beat that. That was well, advertising. Well, <laughs> you know what? We we have to work harder because it seems as if we've slipped a little. We're eating a little less ice cream, and the people in New Zealand have taken the lead. Huh. So I think that we should challenge America to eat more ice yeah, cream. Eat more I'm ice sure cream. you agree, John. <laughs> I do. I've always heard Russia was a big uh, consumer as well. Russia, it's funny. We talked yeah. about that at the, yeah. at the yeah. culinary historian event, Russia. And, and yeah. one of the things, maybe you can uh, uh, confirm or deny or deny this, uh, I'd always heard in the States, Maine and Alaska were the biggest consumers, in, which always was you know flies in the face of people thinking warm Cold. weather states. Yeah. 
you'd have bigger per capita consumption. But Gee, I don't know. That's something I would have to look into. I always heard that Massachusetts was one of the biggest, but that may be because I'm from Massachusetts, <laughs> so I'm not really sure. Yeah. But I don't think weather is such an indicator because we eat ice cream all year round. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. And, and that's why it's it's actually one of the reasons and people think that ice cream is a seasonal business and it's not so seasonal for for me. Um, having a building a wholesale business because in a restaurant you'll, you you'll have it, dessert right. year round. Well, it's yeah. not you'll never your really think about crowd it. Crowd at your retail shop, retail obviously. for sure slows yeah. down. Yeah. And, you know yeah. you're not going to have a cone walking down the street in January. But but whole, restaurants like you know year round continuously buy about the same amount. You know so it's uh, you're sure you get that fancy cake and it always has a scoop of something something sure. interesting yeah. on Once the side. If you're yeah. home or in, yeah. indoors, you'll have it. You'll have it twelve months of the well, year. Well, I think that it's it is if you want to call it a, a movement this artisanal type of ice cream it really has taken hold i mean you were one of the early one 1983 that was very early um and i now i think every city has got a lot of small producers and also a lot of uh, gourmet food shops produce their own ice cream mm-hmm. now the, well the machines they have electric machines that make it uh, much easier much, nowadays yeah, right <laughs> yeah, impossible the, the last the last five years in uh, new york uh, uh, new york every really city you're right it, across the country there's you've seen a lot of artisanal um and especially the last few years in new york you've seen a lot uh in the outer boroughs uh, interesting it's it's fantastic i yeah. think i mean i applaud it when you when you see these oh, I mean, it's competition but you know i think it's great no, it's, uh, that's good that's it, a good thing it is good yeah. it means people are appreciating finer foods well and, and i think finer desserts. i think we chalk you up as one of the first for new york as, as you know bringing it to the to the people and uh and i would like to thank you for all these treats we have i'm sure our engineer nat wiener and our producer jack insley are going to appreciate these snacks mm-hmm. after the show good. but jerry quinzio i again i have to thank you for your informative and and interesting information well, that you've you shared this with us fun. and phyllis and john snyder again a pleasure to have you and thank learning you. so much about what's going on in the ice cream industry so Go out and buy a cone from your local artisanal dealer, right? Thank you so much. Again, I'm Linda Palaccio. This has been A Taste of the Past, and we'd like to thank TechServe for being our sponsor today, and we hope you tune in again. Remember, all shows are archived on heritageradionetwork.com. For appearing on A Taste of the Past today, Jerry and John will both receive 365-day gift cards from Zagat. Use this complimentary 365zagat.com gift card to enjoy trusted Zagat ratings and reviews derived from the opinions of 375,000 surveyors around the globe, all conveniently located in one place. For more information on Zagat, go to www.zagat.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>